How's about a little hypocrisy today from the corporate corner office? You know, those business leaders who constantly gripe about their staff's desire to work from home. And yet, new research suggests that these same executives are staying cozy in their homes even while mandating that everyone else returns to the office. It's the old do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do routine on today's episode. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. Anyone that knows me, and by all means, you've all been listening to this show, so you do to some extent, you know I'm a fan of metaphors or aphorisms or generally any really fun turns of phrase. Bonus points if they involve food. So the theme of today's episode is this. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Now, what do I mean by that? It's pretty simple. There's only one way to prove something is successful, and you do that by testing it and seeing the results firsthand. Now, why do I like this phrase oh so much? To me, I want to say roughly 90% of decision-making in any capacity, in any situation, boils down to things like navel-gazing and hemming and hawing and just generally talking to yourself and others in circles. It's really only that maybe 10% or so at the end where we're actually committing to action after throwing away most of that first 90% that actually makes a difference. And that's definitely true of today's topic. And if an article I read recently is true, then the return to work pudding tastes really, really bad. We're no strangers to the topic of working from home on this show. Hell, it's part of the reason John and I started The Big Balance, dealing with being cooped up during quarantine. The whole time, two things have remained pretty constant. First, those working from home tend to like it. And those in charge tend to, well, not. Whether it's property owners worried about loss of lease income or micromanagers who, put bluntly, want to keep their thumb directly on their subordinates, the powers that be want us to be in the office. Or do they? Turns out those calls to return to work really only apply to those on the lower end of the corporate ladder, or at least so says a report we're going to talk about today. Has anybody out there heard of an app called Slack? It's a unified communications platform that helps people work together when they're not in the same place. So clearly, they have a sword to sell when it comes to working from home. It's kind of good for their business. So maybe there's some bias in any research reports they produce. But I still think there's some merit behind the findings out of their so-called Future Forum that Slack describes this way. The Future Forum is dedicated to the concept that companies need to make a comprehensive shift in how they operate. So far, so good to me. I think that's generally true. And the catalyst, again, is going to be that pandemic-based push for remote work, which Slack goes on to say this about. The sudden move to remote work provides the opportunity to question decades of orthodoxy about the 9-to-5, office-centric, homogenous work culture. 
oof, doesn't that sound a bit highfalutin? I'll keep going. While this remote work experiment has shown advantages in improving personal well-being for some, the fact that most companies have done little more than lift and shift office-centric practices onto video conferences is raising challenges associated with the perceived difficulty of building and maintaining social ties. Now, that's a lot of dense language. It probably reads better than me talking it out. So let me go ahead and simplify a bit. Working from home can be great, but it takes a reimagining of how we work. If we're doing everything the same way we did when we were packed tightly together like cubicle mice, well, it's, it's not going to work as well as it could. But that level of planning is hard, and businesses have been slow to do that. Business leaders, generally speaking, either can't or won't reimagine business as usual. Slack's goal with the Future Forum is to start changing that mindset. So that's a little background on the who of today's episode. Let's talk a bit about the what. Back in April, the Future Forum put out an article titled, Inflexible Return-to-Office Policies Are Hammering Employee Experience Scores. According to this article, just over a third of knowledge-based workers surveyed are back to the office a full five days a week. The aftermath is not great. Those workers are saying that they're seeing steep declines in workplace satisfaction, mental health, and course, true to the show, work-life balance. But that's all old news. We knew that already. What caught my attention was this from a section of the report titled, A Troubling Double Standard for the C-Suite. And I'll quote the article here. Executives say they want to work from the office, but it's their employees who are being told to show up. Non-executive employees are nearly twice as likely as executives to be working from the office five days a week. So, in the end, 35% of non-executives are back in the office five days a week, compared to only 19% of executives. Just to be very clear, the people who swear working from home is bad for business and are requiring workers to go back to the office for whatever perceived benefit are themselves continuing to work from home because, yeah, it's just plain better from a quality of life perspective. And look, I get that not every job can be done from home, but we're talking about office workers. Operations people, tech people, marketing teams, all roles that can very much be done at least in a hybrid model, and many fully remote. Now, outside of just being a selfish move, what's the impact of making those roles return to the office when there's no real reason or desire on their part? Let's check into some of those numbers. When surveyed, declines in work-life balance this quarter were five times as bad for non-executives, so the quarter where this return-to-office push was really happening, and they feel twice as much stress now having to make that commute, having to be back in that office as their still-at-home bosses feel. Gee, I wonder why that disparity. Oh right, do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to break away from the article for just a little bit to bring this back to the personal side for me and the bosses that I've worked for over my illustrious career. I'd say generally two continuums that I care about in a boss are knowledge level and affability, ability to get along with people. I've worked with people on both sides of both spectrums, right? I've worked for bosses who were experts in their field, leaders in thought. Then I've worked for other bosses who barely knew what their own team was doing, let alone where the company was going. Likewise, I've worked for people who were sweet as pie, and I've worked with complete jerks. Either situation, I've managed to form a working relationship that worked. I'd like to work with nice people. I can get along with mean people. I'd like to work with smart people. I can get along with dummies. 
doesn't really matter in the long run to me. But the one personality trait that I can't abide by, and I'm not going to stick around too long for, I have a very bad track record of dealing with people who are full of shit. You want to tell me to go back to the office while you stay at home? That's full of shit. You want to tell me that it's bad for the business or that we're not being as effective or making as much money working from home, but it's okay that the highest paid people in the company continue doing so? Again, full of shit. I don't know how they say these things with a straight face, and honestly, I don't know how people are still working for these companies knowing how full of shit they are. That's a huge turnoff for me and a huge red flag. If there is ever anything that would make me want to jump ship, even if I was okay going back into the office every once in a while, it's this double speak. It's this hypocrisy of the C-suite to say that it's okay for us to work from home, but for all of you, nah, not going to happen. Have fun with that commute again. But anyway, that's what I have for the who and the what of this story. I want to take a quick break, and coming up next, let's talk a little bit more about why, as in, why are these findings important to us? Let's pretend for a moment that I'm going to change the format of this podcast to be less about workers and more about people leaders and hiring managers. John might not be very happy, but hey, he's on vacation, and I bet Andy would love it because he is that hiring manager. This is what the headline would be for the second half of this episode. All right, here goes. Hey, dummies, this is a bad job market to lose people, so do whatever you can to keep your top talent. Luckily for John, unfortunately for Andy, we're not changing, and it's still going to be a work-life balance podcast, so I'm going to tweak it a little bit. I'm going to start it the exact same way. Here goes. Hey, dummies, if you're not getting what you need or want where you are, test the market. See if you can find it or better somewhere else. I'll tell you one thing. You wouldn't be alone. Being forced back into the office makes people two and a half times more likely to start a new job hunt. And I'll tell you something else, it's not just the companies who've outright said they're going to be returning to office that should be facing this issue. A ton of companies out there are keeping silent about these plans. And if you work in one of those really tight-lipped companies, I'm going to go ahead and assume it's because, hey, guess what? You will be returning to the office. They just haven't found the right way to break the news to you yet. Again, where's the proof in the pudding here? A lot of companies have been closing offices down. Maybe not all of their offices and maybe not all at once, but they're taking a look and saying if an office's physical presence isn't strategically critical, I'm going to go ahead and shut it down permanently and move my staff to being full-time remote. Now let's compare that action to the wishy-washy phrases we keep hearing like, well, we're still assessing all of our options. Like we haven't been in this assessment mode for two years already. And if you need a specific example, let's take a look at Airbnb. Their CEO, Brian Chesky, summed up their new policy like this. One, you can work from home or the office. Two, you can move anywhere in the country you work and your compensation won't change. I personally love that. That's been a really hot button issue for a lot of companies around here. Three, you have the flexibility to travel and work around the world. Four, we'll meet up regularly for gatherings. And five, we'll continue to work in a highly coordinated way. Now, for me, that pretty much is the ultimate wish list for anybody who wants to work in a flexible environment. Airbnb is far from alone, though. I found a really excellent resource on the web called buildremote.co. 
Now, this is a list of companies that are going hard towards flexible work, and there are dozens on that list. If I were in the frame of mind to look for a new gig, I'd be very, very likely to start with one of those companies. Why? Because I've gotten too used to the efficiency gains and too allergic to time wasters, not least of which is an expensive commute. Again, does Slack have a sword to sell by encouraging remote work? Sure they do. That's the prime territory for their salespeople. But I'll tell you this much. What they're selling is at least something I think is worth buying. Let's look at the other side. Government officials at the local level want us all commuting back to big cities because we're putting their tax revenue at risk. That goes all the way up to the Oval Office that wants us to take one on the chin for the sake of the greater economy. Property owners, they don't want to lose their lease revenue. Likewise, business leaders don't want to feel foolish for snapping up billion-dollar boondoggle leases midway through a pandemic. Finally, all those egotistical, micromanaging, power-hungry middle managers desperately feel the need to be seen and heard by those under them. Now, that's a whole lot of swords, none of which I'm too interested in buying personally. And that report says a whole lot of other workers are with me. When we lose flexibility, we feel we have 1.7 times worse work-life balance, 2.2 times worse work-related stress and anxiety, and 1.4 times more burnout. Those things affect us directly. They affect our families directly. Believe me, I want to care more about the bigger economic picture, but not at the expense of me and mine. And I wouldn't ask anybody else to sacrifice their well-being either. As we close out today's episode, I want to focus on the end of Slack's article we've been talking about. They outline three keys to retaining top talent, and I want to mention the first one. From Slack, Flexibility, especially schedule flexibility, will only succeed if one is willing to set aside outdated conceptions of how work should be done. But with so many different ideas about what flexibility can mean to each person, team, and company, it can be hard to band together to create this kind of shift. So where do we start? We urge leaders to begin by identifying your purpose. Why do you want to enable flexible work in the first place? Clearly articulate that reason, and then align your entire leadership team behind it. Months ago, I would have said that the step before this was even convincing everyone in leadership that flexible work had value in the first place. But if this research is right, they already do know it. They just want to keep those benefits to themselves. Is it because they think you're undeserving? Not a hard enough worker to avoid slacking off? In the end, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is the end result of work from home for them and back to the office for you. The proof's in the pudding, and eating a long commute may be coming back to your menu. And if that happens, hey, at least you have this show to get you through that commute. I don't mind a captive audience, certainly. But whether you're in the car or you're in your pajamas right now listening, thanks again, and we'll see you here next week. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time. Be sure to save yourself for marriage, right?